Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Nā mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ. David Tepanelich from the Eastern Institute of Technology has won the 2020 Tahanui Arangi Award. The award recognises inventions of things or processes that make a significant impact. David led a team which applied Matauranga Māori to create the Wahakura, a flax sleeping bassinet, to address the problem of sudden unexpected death in infancy, or sudi. been around for a long time. It used to be called SIDS, and before that it was called cot death. So it's been around for a good old while, became quite marked in the 60s, 70s and 80s. We kind of got a handle on it here in New Zealand with the cot death study, um, Ed Mitchell and the cot death study in the late 80s. We had a uh, national prevention program here that got out there and turned all babies over from lying face down to face up didn't seem to do much in the Māori community. The rates of SIDS didn't seem to change very much. On the basis of that, we got together something called the Māori SIDS Prevention Programme. And so we changed the message, if you like, from turning babies over to trying to take a wider approach to the message and talking about SIDS and information distribution, all that sort of thing. We had to deal with grief. We had to deal with the idea that the main message coming out of paediatrics and out of Plunkett was get those babies out of your bed, um, no bed sharing, that sort of thing. And so anyhow, we worked with that and the deaths began to fall. For about five years they were falling and then they flattened out. And so in the flattened out years, which was the middle of the 2000s, we thought, gosh, you know, we have to do something new, something else. And so that something else was, given that the main risk at the time was bed sharing if there was smoking during the pregnancy. So those two often thought of as separate risks, but if you put them together, then they are particularly um, nasty as a risk dyad for what had now become called SUDI, Sudden Unexpected Death in Infancy. We looked at it and we thought, what are we going to do? It's all about smoking. Um, and bed sharing um, together, and so smoking is too hard to do, so we need to do something about bed sharing. And so we came up with this idea around, because all the messages at the time around the world and the international sphere were safe sleep environments, we thought, why can you not create a safe sleep environment in a shared bed? And that was where the idea came from. Why can't you have a safe sleep environment in a shared bed. Uh, and so we played with that idea and we came up with this idea of a woven bassinet that was highly portable that could slip in between the parents um, at night um, and people would feel that they were A, bed sharing and they didn't have to change their behaviour, B, that they were doing all the nice 
things like being close to baby and goo-gooing and gargaring all night long and easy for breastfeeding and putting baby back into a safe sleep space. Um, but because it was made of flax, we kind of also marketed it with the idea that it was a return to a traditional behaviour. And, of course, you know, the, we're talking about the mid-2000s um, here and and anything that comes into the Māori community that smacks of um, traditionalism or going back to the old ways of doing things, of course, is, is looked upon with favour. And so I wasn't surprised to see that this thing took off. Mothers loved it. They loved being close to baby. They loved having the smell of flax around. They loved this idea that we were um, doing something that the old people said we, we should do. They loved the idea that nobody was saying to, to them, don't do this, don't do that. It was that all the messages were flipped around and presented in a positive light. And so it got a bit of movement. Of course, they weren't easy to make and they weren't easy to procure. Um, and so whilst there was demand, it started off very slowly. In fact, I mean, we ended up inventing a plastic version of it. Is that the Peppy Pod? So that was yes. sparked by the original Flax version? Absolutely. One of our colleagues who actually spotted it in the plastic box shop, her name's Stephanie Cohen and from Christchurch, we'd already had the idea of a Peppy Pod because we were trying to figure out what can we do that looks like a wahakura and does the same things but, you know, is easy to procure. Um, and so we called it the Peppy Pod even though we didn't know what it was. And when she spotted this plastic box, we said, yep, that's it, that'll do, that's our Peppy Pod, let's go for it. And, of course, um, she was in Christchurch at the time and it was the time of the earthquakes. And Stephanie was based, you know, in a very short period of time with 1,000 to 1,500 babies that had no safe place to sleep. So whilst we started the Peppy Pod off as a foodie prevention thing, it ended up being a very utilitarian makeshift bed for a whole lot of Christchurch families whose lives were disrupted by the earthquake. She ordered them in from overseas. She had people um, knitting and sewing and doing all sorts of things. And so it was Stephanie's work with the Peppy Pod that allowed us to start the um, Safe Sleep programs. Um, and the first one we did here was here at um, Hawke's Bay DHB. And this, the idea behind the Safe Sleep program was that if you were seen by a midwife or anybody in that antenatal field and you were in any way at risk, particularly around smoking and pregnancy, then you would be offered one of these safe sleep devices. Um, and so that was the whole idea of the safe sleep program. You got the device, you got some education about safe sleep, you got a little bit of extra attention. And so that was a safe sleep program. It, it started to move around the DHVs and it probably took four years before just about all the DHVs had a version of the Safe Sleep program running. And between the years 2009 to 2015, we were able to show a 30% drop in infant mortality across the country. That's significant. It is significant. It was, it was big. It was an ecological study, so it wasn't that we could absolutely say that it was because of the Safe Sleep program. But nothing else was going on. You know, we hadn't invented a new antibiotic. There was no new immunisation. There was nothing else new in the environment. And the deaths were dropping in the areas where we were distributing the most of these epipods and wahakura. 
But you haven't eliminated the risk completely, have you? There are still unexpected infant deaths. Absolutely there are. And no, you're dead right, we haven't eliminated the risk. What has happened now is that we have another flattening. For the past two, possibly three years, again, that decrease in um, Sudi deaths has halted. And what I think has happened is that we have come to the end of the low-hanging fruit. So where do you go from here then? Yes, that's a good question. And, and you know, the, the question of risk in this day and age, yes, it's all tied up around, you know, the ones that you can pick out easily as smoking and, and, and bed sharing. But, but where you find these things, of course, and again, not surprisingly, is in deprived communities where things are a little bit hard up. People smoke because they're stressed. People bed share because they don't have room, because they're under stress. And so what we see is that these deaths are still in that part of the community. And the argument is that with access to antenatal services being the requirement to be able to access these things, and of course, ongoing use of a baby pot or a wahakura uh, being the thing that saves the day, basically these things are not happening. So we have now got a part of our community that we are unable to penetrate. And so we have started, and this is the interesting thing about the whole wahakura program, is that we have started, rather than just giving wahakuras out to those who you can identify with a risk factor, then what we're doing now is, is that we are embarking on a program of teaching people how to make these things. Ah. Yes. Yeah, so we're trying to do it. We're now trying to be even more holistic. Is that the word? Or all-rounded. We've got this organisation over here that was just started called um, the Whare Pōra. Um, te Whare Pōra o Hinete Whare Pōra means University School of Learning. Hinete Iwe is the old deity of, of weaving and who, interestingly, is also the deity of pregnancy, childbirth, and infant raising. So, not surprisingly, you might think of this as a women's business or women's health clinic under the old way that things happened in pre-colonial times. So, again, it's a return to the old thing. Uh, Women are coming in. They end up weaving in a six-week program all the things that you need in pregnancy. Uh, of course, the hardest one to do is the wahakura. That's the last thing they make. And the easiest one to do is the um, the umbilical tie. So that's what they make first. But the wahakura has been really interesting because it just takes the space, if you like. It, you know, you're, you're doing this thing. You're getting ready for pregnancy. You're looking around. You're buying nappies and bottles and all that sort of thing. And then somebody brings along something made out of flax. Hmm. And, and everybody goes, oh, wow. And so the wahakura, our experiences with the wahakura is that people use them, babies sleep in them, babies grow up, babies never give up on them, they end up playing in them, they end up being the toy box, they end up being the security blanket, and babies, we see uh, infants at two and three years of age walking around dragging their wahakura behind them full of all their stuff kind of like, here's my little 
space. This is my safe space. Mm. Um, and as soon as I hop in here, I'm okay. The other interesting thing about them, is, of course, is that their attractiveness is not limited to Māori women, of course, um, in the same way that Kiwis, you know, Kiwis love ketes. Sophisticated women have a kete. Um, in rem weather, they buy really expensive and nice kete because that's what we do in New Zealand. Mm. And, and this is what's beginning to happen now with the wahakura, is that Pākehā women are looking for wahakura. I mean, it just makes sense. It's the pavlova. It's the buzzy bee. It's, it's joining those things, part of Kiwi culture. They've now started using these things in Australia, in Aboriginal communities, not so much um, wahakura because they don't have flax over there, um, but they've been using peppy pods. But we've been doing some work over there and encouraging them to find a Aboriginal version of the wahakura and see if there is a way that they can make this thing happen, not as a plastic object, but with something traditional from their culture, push this thing along. I sent three wahakura earlier this year to uh, Bristol University to a colleague over there who's working in hard-up communities, and he's fascinated. He's looking for a cultural equivalent in England of this bed-sharing device that they might be able to use in communities over there who have high sooty rates. I'll say the word, but I don't want to say it too loudly. But there are two bits of genius in this idea. And the first is, why can't you have a safe sleeping environment in a shared bed? So that's something that just hadn't been thought of before. And then the other little bit of cleverness around the wahakura is, and if you make this safe sleeping device so that it brings to people all the feelings of tradition and health and naturalness and going back to maybe traditional ways or going back to the earth sort of thing, if you can combine those two things together, then you've got a winner. And that's what the wahakura has been. It certainly does seem to have been a winner. So congratulations for that. You've probably saved quite a few lives by now. We may have done. <laughs> we may well have done. That must bring you a great deal of satisfaction. It does. I think that, interestingly, my colleague Ed Mitchell... So Ed Mitchell was the original SIDS guy, um, the SIDS guru around the world, really, and he's, he has joined on very happily with our program and has been part of pushing this program, and I think it's because that he has recognised the tale of the SIDS epidemic and he's wanted to try and help address it. And so I'm still kind of feeling like that. Yes, we've had the wahakura, um, and we've got the wahakura, and it's an ongoing thing now. I, I think the wahakura will be around forever now. I think it's become a part of our culture, and it's not going away. But actually, it's not enough. What we need really to address is we need to recognise that the, the core problem that we're looking at with Sudi is poverty and the behavioural risks that come when you live in poverty and the things around you are, are not going well. And so you get things like cigarette smoking, you get things like alcohol abuse, you get things like overcrowded housing, you get things like being cut off from antenatal care. You get all those sorts of things. And when you get all these things, disaster hits. Maybe 
this new government will be a little bit more progressive and maybe it will begin to do what it said it was going to do in its last term, and that is to begin to address the social determinants of health, because that's where we need to go, really, to address Sudi. But the Wahakura is an iconic change in behaviour that we have effected in this country and that has become normalised. The interesting thing that we introduced this thing in 2005, we struggled with it for three, four, five years. By 2010, it was out there in many ways. Sort of by 2015, it was out there enough to have dropped the infant mortality rate. And here we are in 2020, it's just a normal part of our behaviour and we still can't make enough of them. So, you know, people across the country are, are making wahakura. The demand is always bigger than the supply, and that's been one of the problems. But, but hey, if you've got people demanding something that is good for you, then we can't be complaining about that. Thanks, David. David Tipani leach is with the Eastern Institute of Technology and is the winner of the 2020 Tahanui Arangi Award. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 12th of November 2020. You can listen at our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. This week's and last week's show have been featuring winners of the 2020 Research Honours Aotearoa. So if you're curious to meet some of New Zealand's top researchers, here's your chance. The website is also where you can sign up for our free email newsletter which delivers story links directly to your inbox. The subscription link is at the bottom of the webpage. If you're after some new podcasts and video series, check out the podcasts tab at rnz.co.nz. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter where we are RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Stay safe and catch you next time. Nā mihi. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.